Hello and welcome to Mental Awakening, the podcast that explores all topics related to trauma recovery, mental health, chronic pain, and healing. I'm your host, Sarah DeKeeley, psychotherapist and mental health social worker. And in this episode, I offer an insight into my own personal experience with relationships, sharing some confronting lessons and gifts gained along the way. I will also talk about the anxious, secure, and avoidant attachment styles and how they can offer a roadmap for building stronger, more fulfilling connections with the people we love, including ourselves. Hi everybody, welcome back. Um, As I mentioned, I'm going to be talking a little bit about my own personal experience within relationships and also giving you guys an insight into the adult attachment styles, which is um, something that was pioneered by psychologist John Browling in the 1950s. The field of attachment proposes that each of us behaves in relationships in one of the three distinct ways. Anxious attachment, so anxious people that are often preoccupied with their relationships and tend to worry about their partner's ability to love them back. Avoidant attachment style, which refers to people who equate intimacy with a loss of independence and constantly try to minimize closeness. And lastly, we have the secure attachment style, which refers to people who feel comfortable with intimacy and are usually warm, loving, and patient. Okay, so to begin with, I want to give you guys a bit of background on my own personal history with relationships. So my first relationship was obviously with my parents. And those of you who have listened to previous episodes of this podcast or who have read my book, you know that I had a pretty challenging childhood. It was pretty tough and I experienced quite a bit of trauma. So I never really... I never really felt safe as a child. I never really understood the meaning of safety, love, security. And so that was my initial experience with connection. It was very anxious. My mom was very anxious because of obviously her challenges at the time and her relationship with with my dad. So she had an anxious attachment style and my dad had an avoidant attachment style, which is what continued to trigger the fights, the arguing and the lack of stability in the household. So growing up, I witnessed my mother's attachment style and as well as my father's. And these are not things that you necessarily choose consciously, of course, but that lack of intimacy and closeness, and I'm referring to emotional intimacy and also just that physical nurture, um, that the lack of that led to the development of this anxious attachment style for me. I remember um, as a teenager, I would often fantasize about people whom I could never be with and who would never, you know, never be interested in me. And so once I turned 20 years of age, I met a guy who was just a couple of years older than me, and he became my first boyfriend, you know, the first real relationship that I ever had. And that relationship was incredibly toxic. He was 
an avoider, avoider of intimacy. He was incredibly mentally abusive towards me without meaning to be. It's just that his attachment style was avoidant. And I was incredibly anxious. So the more he wanted to get away from the relationship or avoid me, the more I wanted to be with him. And I would hold on to these times or moments where things were really good. And it was often when he was under the influence of alcohol and I was under the influence of alcohol. The thing that drew me into this relationship was the mystery of this guy. He would quote philosophy and poetry to me. He would talk about things that not everyone would talk about. So I found him to be incredibly interesting. And the fact that he would also bring up his ex-girlfriend frequently and have her picture on the wall made me even more, you know, motivated to win his love, so to speak, to win over his attention. And this yo-yoing effect of keeping me at a distance and then becoming vulnerable every time he was under the influence of alcohol, expecting me to always respect his rigid boundaries. These were all red flags, but as an anxiously attached person with parents who were not emotionally available, I wanted to do everything I could to win over this guy's love, to keep his attention on me and to make sure that he stayed in my life. It was impossible. It was literally a never, you know, never ending battle. The relationship was incredibly toxic, and yet I had no idea. I couldn't see clearly. That's how powerful these attachment styles are. You can't see clearly. You just, and, and especially if you don't have the right information or resources, you actually start to believe what your mind is telling you, which is that without this person, I can't breathe, I can't live, I can't survive. And there's no truth to that, but this is how how powerful these attachment styles are. And that's why becoming aware of them will really support us in moving away and kind of slowly learning to build more secure relationships, both with ourselves and other people. But with this particular relationship, what happened was that my relationship with myself was basically non-existent. I started to develop an eating disorder at the age of 17. So by the time I was in a relationship with this guy. My eating disorder was at its worst. I was incredibly um, addicted to just this cycle of anorexia, bulimia, and then also started to develop an addiction with alcohol. And things just got from bad to worse. It was just one of the worst and darkest times of my life. I was living in London at the time, so I was away from my family and loved ones. I didn't have any support and the constant yo-yoing effect of this relationship where I remember at one point I was homeless because I was living with the guy and he basically told me to leave. So that exact night, I ended up going to a bar and happened to meet a group of girls who let me crash on their couch for a couple of days. So it was a really awful time in my life and I remember being on anxiety medication on medication for depression and 
lack of sleep. It was just awful. I, and my body couldn't even handle these drugs. I was actually getting worse from them. And so what happened was that I, after going through years of just struggling and suffering, I eventually ended up moving in with a group of girls who became my best friends. And thanks to their love and the connection that I developed with them, I was able to move on from that relationship. So let's have a look at what the attached attachment style looks like. If you identify with this attachment style, then you're probably the kind of person who wants a lot of closeness in the relationship. Usually when you have an attached attachment style, you agree to go on joint vacations, move in together, spend all your time together early on in the relationship pretty quickly. You like to have a lot of physical contact, holding hands, you know, caressing, kissing, and there's often um, a lot of insecurities and worries about rejection. So often trying to see whether your partner has still has feelings for their ex, trying very hard to please your partner, fear that they will stop having feelings towards you or lose sexual interest. There's also a discomfort around not being in a relationship. So these are the kind of people who get into relationships very quickly. I know I used to unhappy when not in a relationship and quite desperate to find someone and they can be quite manipulative you know play games to keep the attention or the interest of the other person and pretends to be unavailable or busy and tries to manipulate certain situations to make the other person be more interested in them and they also have difficulty explaining what's bothering them they don't often speak their truth. There's also a lot of protest behavior. So if things don't go the way that you wanted to, as an attached individual, you would get into what we call protest behavior, act out instead of trying to solve the problem, threatening to leave, doesn't really um, express their needs, and then gets really upset about it and has a hard time with boundaries, has a hard time not making things about themselves in the relationship. So, for example, if you have to work late and your partner is doing something else or maybe wants to go out for dinner with their friends, they interpret that you're not really interested in meeting their friends. You don't really want to spend time with them. Or if you come home tired and you don't want to talk, they interpret it as, you don't love me anymore. So it can be quite draining to be in a relationship with someone who has an anxious attachment style. They're so preoccupied with the relationship and they just, they really struggle to be authentically themselves. And I can relate to all of these qualities because for many years I had an incredibly anxious attachment style and would do everything I could to, you know, somehow keep that person from leaving me, whether it was through manipulation, secrecy, inauthenticity. So I was really depriving myself of my power, my strength, you know. I was not at all valuing myself. And I was often also hiding behind a deep sense of shame. 
Shame that stemmed from not feeling worthy, not feeling good enough. Shame that stemmed from self-rejection. People with this particular attachment style also experience a great deal of hypervigilance around their partner. So their partner's whereabouts and whether they're in contact with other people and so on. I know at one point when I was dating, um, there was this guy that I was dating and I used to every night wake up in anxiety, checking his phone because I know he was in, in contact with a friend of his who was um, a female. And this is what the anxious attachment style usually looks like. And I used to feel so bad, but I just couldn't relax in the relationship. I had so many fears around him leaving me or rejecting me. So rejection is a big fear for people with anxious attachment styles. So getting attached means that our brain becomes wired to seek the support of our partner. And if our partner fails to reassure us, then we're kind of programmed to continue our attempts to get to a place of closeness. So game playing is a really big part of this interaction and dynamic between the attached and the avoidant attachment style. And these are all unconscious behaviors, right? None of this is something that people do consciously or they don't choose to behave this way. I certainly didn't. And it wasn't until I learned about the attachment styles and how incredibly powerful they can be that I realized what was going on. So it wasn't that I was choosing partners based on love. I wasn't choosing partners based on safety. I was choosing partners based on my attachment style. And the people that I was dating were often considered to be, you know, the avoidant, the bad boy, the person who isn't really available to me. And even when I met people who had a secure attachment style, I would reject them because that was such a foreign thing for me. It didn't feel exciting enough. It didn't feel fun enough. It wasn't, um, I didn't feel attracted to those type of people. That's why it's good to know <laughs> what your attachment style is because the only way to kind of move away from having an anxious attachment style is to be with someone who is secure, who can nurture you into a more secure stance because otherwise you're gonna keep being stuck in this cycle over and over again. So let's take a look at the avoidant attachment style. What do they do? Well, people who fall into this category, they often send mixed signals. They're distant and aloof and yet at the same time vulnerable, which makes them incredibly irresistible. They can call you a lot and then other times not at all. And they can say things like, when we move in together, but then later act as though you don't have a future as a couple. They value their independence immensely and need a lot of space. They joke about how, you know, lazy you might be at doing something or how cute it is that you're this way or that way, but it's actually devaluing you, even if it's in a jokey way. And they often talk about someone that they were really interested in, but after a couple of dates, they got turned off by that person because of some physical feature. Or they might have even also cheated on a past partner. So these distancing strategies, emotional or physical, are very typical for the avoidant attachment style. They prefer 
to have their own space. They prefer to even maybe go on vacations alone. Um, they emphasize boundaries in the relationship. So these are my things. These are my friends. Kind of like keep trying to keep you out. And they have an unrealistic view on romance and how a relationship should be. So they can talk longingly about finding the one, that perfect person one day and idolizing a past relationship, but being very vague about what went wrong. They're mistrustful and often fear that they're going to be taken advantage of. So they fear that their partner is going to financially take advantage of them. Um, they have rigid views on relationships and uncompromising roles which means that you have to comply if you want to be with them. They have strong preferences for certain types of partner, very good looking, very, you know, attractive physically. And they're often certain that it's best to live in separate houses or not get married or not be married. Um, they make statements like, oh, all men are such and such or all women are such and such. So the avoidant individual has difficulty talking about what's going on between you. Makes you feel uncomfortable for asking where the relationship is heading or when you say something that is bothering you or you express your needs. They don't really, you know, pay attention to your needs. They kind of try and get, get off the topic. Mismatched attachment styles can lead to a great deal of unhappiness in a relationship, even for people who love each other. And so it's important to become aware of these different attachment styles in order to make certain changes or perhaps even realize that the relationship that you're in is no longer working for you. Now, I don't want to undermine how difficult it is to let go of a relationship or to even make changes in a relationship that's already got certain patterns in place. I know how hard it is. I've been through it all myself. I know that it's not easy. I mean, I'm currently married and marriage isn't easy and I can see certain things in my own relationship with my husband that are incredibly challenging for me. So I get it. This stuff is not easy. But by understanding ourselves we're, and also understanding our partners, we're much better able to move forward, whether it's together or apart. From my own experience so far in life, the only way that we can actually find um, or an experience fulfilling relationships is to have a healthier and more fulfilled relationship with ourselves. Because it's only by understanding ourselves and having a sense of love and compassion for ourselves that we will be able to do the same for others. According to Amir Levine, who is the author of a wonderful book on attachment styles called Attached, in a true partnership, both partners view it as their responsibility to ensure the other's emotional well-being. And this is where the secure attachment style comes in. Because if you can, you know, be with someone who has a secure attachment style, then you will naturally become more secure within yourself and you will also develop a more secure attachment style. And this is tricky, but actually the majority of people in our world do have a secure attachment style. So it's definitely possible. However, the tricky thing about it is that people who have a secure attachment style are often in relationships because they 
they they're quite loyal and they're quite committed but let's clarify it further because it's important for you guys to know what a secure attachment style looks like so a secure attachment style is usually a person who is reliable and consistent you know they phone when they say they're gonna phone um, they make plans in advance and follow through if they can't make it they give you advance notice they apologize or you know find an alternative plan they don't really go back on promises they make decisions with you they discuss plans you know they want to hear your opinion and they don't make assumptions so they're quite flexible in their view of relationships they're not looking for a particular type of partner or certain age or certain appearance they're open to different arrangements like moving in together or having joint or separate bank accounts so that flexibility is something that they embrace they don't make sweeping statements like you know oh all men are like this all women are like this um, they communicate relationship issues very well they make you feel comfortable for asking about where the relationship is going or where it stands or how they feel what the kind of future they see together if something bothers them whether it's him or her they don't act out and expect you to guess they actually communicate that in a way that is healthy they can reach uh, a compromise during arguments so for example they they try their best to understand what is really bothering you what you know to address the issue when you have a misunderstanding they try to solve the problem. They're not just wanting to break the relationship and run away. They're not afraid of commitment. They're not afraid of dependency. And they don't really worry that you're trying to impinge on their freedom. They're not really worried that you're trying to trap them. So for them, for a secure person, relationships are not necessarily hard work. They don't talk about how much compromise and effort a relationship takes. You know, they're open to starting a new relationship even when circumstances are not necessarily ideal or where there's a lot of, I don't know, time um, that's taken up for studying or working. For them, closeness creates further closeness rather than distancing. And so, being with someone secure it can can be such a wonderful experience because after for example um, sleeping together they tell you how much you mean to them or after an emotional or revealing conversation they, re they reassure you and they're there for you they're happy to introduce you to their friends and family early on in the relationship and they naturally express their feelings for you they tell you early on how they feel about you they don't play games they don't leave you guessing. They don't make you jealous, right? And at the same time, they're also not the type of people who necessarily are incredibly exciting or the relationship can be perceived as boring for someone who has an anxious or an avoidant attachment style. So people who have a secure attachment style, they view their partner's well-being as their responsibility. As long as they have reason to believe that their partner is in some form of trouble, they will continue to back this person up and do whatever they can to be there for them. The good news is that 
people with a secure attachment style have very good instincts and can tell early on whether the person that they're getting involved with is cut out to be their partner or not. The bad news is that they're usually the type of people who don't call it quits, even when the relationship turns sour and negative and toxic. They stay committed in the long run, even when they're absolutely miserable, because they feel that they are responsible for their partner's happiness. Usually, when our partners fail to meet our basic attachment needs, we experience a chronic sense of disquiet and tension that leaves us more exposed to various ailments. So, not only is our emotional well being sacrificed when we're in a romantic partnership with someone who doesn't provide a secure base, but so is our physical health. We actually start to experience health issues. When I first met my husband, who has a secure attachment style, I, I did things differently. As someone with a history of having an anxious attachment style, I actually, I wasn't attracted to him, but there was a sense of curiosity about him. I started to get to know him. So we weren't really physically intimate for months. We got to know each other on an intellectual level and we didn't spend time going out and getting drunk. It was all about you know, taking walks in the park, going for coffee, having different experiences together, which really helped me to feel a sense of connection with him and, and feel more safe with him. Our relationship foundation was definitely based on friendship, not on physical attraction or passion. We connected on a deeper level because of our, you know, intellectual connection as well as our values. I think it's really important when it comes to relationship that you get clear about your values. And even though you might not have a lot in common as people and individuals, that can still be okay and the relationship can still work. As long as your values are similar, and if not, you know, your top values need to be pretty similar, if not the same. Because for me, one of my top values is growth. I highly value personal growth and personal development, and so does my partner. And so that has supported us, you know, so far in our journey together in being able to get through the tough times and communicate and really learn from the challenges. Because if there's not an openness to changing these patterns, if there's not an openness to shifting things, if you're not you know, tired enough of your particular attachment style to actually work actively on changing it, then there's no point. There's no point. You're just going to remain unhappily together or apart and perhaps even repeat the same patterns of behavior with future partners. So just a few words on some of the reasons and causes as to why these, you know, the avoidant attachment style, for example, develops. Well, as children, you know, in general, we need to learn to form closeness, a close bond with parents and caregivers. And the repeated rejection of different attempts to form this kind of secure attachment may result in the child learning to suppress their desire for comfort when they're distressed or upset. So the avoidant attachment develops when an infant or a toddler or a child has a parent or a caregiver who is consistently emotionally unavailable. 
and unresponsive to their emotional needs. So then the infant with an avoidant attachment style will have to face repeated discouragement from crying or expressing their emotions outwardly. And usually this is because the parent has a lack of knowledge on how to support the child, a lack of empathy, or they're feeling overwhelmed by parental responsibilities. Perhaps they haven't developed a sense of commitment or have an avoidant attachment style themselves. And so children with avoidant attachment may feel quite disconnected from their own needs and feelings. And some of the things, some of the signs um, to pay attention to are when the child is avoiding emotional closeness in the relationship or feeling like, you know, they're withdrawing in order to cope with a difficult situation alone. They're suppressing their emotions. They avoid complaining and instead they end up sulking as a way to hint what's going on or what's wrong. They suppress negative memories they fear rejection, they have a strong sense of independence, and they're overly focused on their own needs and comforts. So just to wrap up about the attachment styles, I also want to talk about the relationship inventory, as mentioned by Amir Levine. Um, relationship inventories can really help us in understanding situations that trigger activation or deactivation of the attachment style. So literally looking at how your thoughts, feelings, and actions have contributed towards an activation of the attachment style that you have, whether it's anxious or avoidance. And so creating a relationship inventory can be really helpful in understanding how you give in to these different principles and how you get activated in different scenarios and situations. These attachment styles have a number of different influences. And so it's important to know that what's not likely to change from one partnership to the next is how sensitive we are to potential relationship threats. And that's what we're trying to understand. So if you meet someone and your threat system isn't triggered straight away or maybe early on in the relationship, then your reaction to the threat will also lessen and will become less frequent and less intense. And that's kind of what I'm referring to. For example, in my relationship with my husband, when I met him, I didn't feel a sense of threat. I didn't feel like I had to try hard to get this person's attention or I had to try hard to be myself or I had to, you know, withhold information or play a specific role or try and be pleasing or try to give in to that person's need while dismissing my own. My threat system wasn't being activated, then my attitude and behavior also started to slowly shift in the relationship. I also want to just briefly talk a bit about how to build and um, create a more satisfying and healthy relationship with yourself because loving and accepting yourself for who you are takes a lot of work, takes a lot of life experience, and it's a process that involves a great deal of self-reflection. But it's an essential thing for us to do if we want to thrive in our lives and if we want to have healthy relationships with other people. So the first thing we need to do is recognizing the negative self-talk. Everyone's got a voice in their, inside their head that guides their decisions. For most people, it comes from their, what we call the inner critic, you know, that does more harm than good. It's very nagging and not, not very positive, not very loving, not very compassionate or kind. 
And so it's really important to become aware of that part of yourself, recognize the dialogue, because that's how you can start to rewrite the script. Getting to know yourself also involves basically spending time with yourself. What do you like? What makes you happy? And you can start doing this by making small decisions that are only for you. You know, maybe choosing a movie that you want to watch or going for a holiday over the weekend or for one day to a place that you love to be um, to visit. It's easier to make decisions for yourself when you step away from the people who have the most influence on your life. So that's also something to bear in mind. But nevertheless, very important to spend time with yourself. Practice gratitude for your physical self. You know, practicing gratitude means um, eating well, exercising, honoring and valuing your body, honoring and valuing your hobbies, your interests, you know, what you like, what makes you feel good. Practicing gratitude for your physical self even includes meditating and just having some kind of routine in place that works for you. Showing yourself compassion, so important. Are you your worst critic? Because usually that's the case. If you are your own worst critic, you're not alone. It's a common sentiment in our society. We tend to cut other people a lot more breaks than we do for ourselves. But it's important to take a step back and think about what you would say to a friend if they were going through a hard time. You know, you'd probably be a lot more compassionate to them than you would be to yourself. And now imagine a friend talked to you the way you talk to yourself. You wouldn't even be friends with that person for long, would you? So that's why it's important to start showing yourself more compassion. You simply can't have a good relationship with yourself if you're constantly engaged in this internal struggle. And I'm probably going to do a recording or an episode on self-compassion, you know, to just give you guys a bit more insight into what self-compassion actually is. So reducing judgment, judgmental thoughts, because they're often the ones that disconnect us from ourselves and also from other people. When you're judging someone else, it says a lot about yourself. It's often a sign of attempting to cover up your own insecurities. But when we practice kindness, including kind thoughts, we become a lot more mindful of our thoughts and actions. And then lastly, only once you really embrace all of that you are, that you can truly know the meaning of love for yourself and for other people. However, I'm not referring to accepting abusive behavior and tolerating you know, any behavior that is toxic and abusive. Not at all. But what I'm referring to is that even though it's going to take some time and effort, it's crucial to create a healthy relationship with yourself. This also includes embracing your own needs, connecting to a community outside of your relationship and making sure that that sense of connection, that sense of unity is something that you experience in other areas of your life besides your relationship. Okay, everybody, I think it's time to wrap it up. If you want to know more about the attachment styles, I recommend reading a book called Attached by Dr. Levine, Mir Levine. It's a great book and it will give you a lot more content. Um, I highly recommend it. If you like today's podcast, um, I would love it if you could leave me a review on Apple Podcasts as it will help 
more people to access the content shared. I will speak to you guys again in two weeks time with a brand new topic. Until then, take care everybody. Bye for now.